You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Today, as we jump back into chapter 6 of Luke, I want us to keep Palm Sunday in mind because... um, Our passage is much earlier in the life of Jesus than than what we just read. However, um, it does speak to the nature of the kingdom and the kingdom, uh, the King Jesus. Uh, What, you know, we talk about God's kingdom and sometimes that sounds really big and abstract. Well, in Luke 6, we get a very specific uh, portrait of what life will look like in a, a, a kingdom ruled by Jesus. Okay, so that's the connection between Palm Sunday and Luke 6, uh, if you will. Uh, We have a a description of the life that's going to happen for those who pledge their allegiance, not to a worldly king, but to Jesus Christ as king. So let's just jump right in. This is a fairly long passage. There's a lot of very important stuff happening in it, and we're basically just taking a run at it this morning. Uh, I shouldn't say it's very long, but it's just there's so much amazing things that Jesus says. Uh, So let's read. Uh, Luke 6, 26 to 36, 27 to 36, sorry, where Jesus says, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Uh, give to everyone who asks of you, and from someone who takes your things, don't take them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Because if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those uh, whom you expect to receive back from, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Wow. Okay, so Jesus' words this morning are cutting straight to the heart. Uh, These verses are are literally some of the most meaningful instructions that have ever been spoken in the history of mankind. Jesus is radically defining or redefining life. He's redefining relationships, the way that we treat other people, according to his rule as king, right? Instead of normal human behavior. He cuts to the heart. He redefines who we are. He's calling us to a profound shift in our thinking, in our ethics, our behaviors, our morals, and so on. Ever since Jesus spoke these words a long time ago, lives have been radically changed. And I pray today that as we listen, this is a continuation of that process in our hearts as well, a response to the truth. Um, in, a, in the parallel sermon of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 
And Jesus begins this section by saying a series of things that you have heard it said. So you've heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you this. Or you've heard it said to love your neighbors but hate your enemies, and instead I say to you this. In other words, the types of thinking that are normal in the world, Jesus is responding with a new way of living a new way of treating one another. No more is it an eye for an eye. No more are we seeking revenge and getting even. In their place, we have a radical love, undoing these human dynamics of power and replacing them with grace and mercy. So as we read the passage today, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a sinner or a saint, as they say. Um, What Jesus says in Luke 6 is a hard teaching isn't it? It's, it's a challenging word. Love your enemies. It's not easy to do. In fact, what is easy to do, Jesus goes over that in verse 32. He says that anybody can love those who love them back, right? That's normal, isn't it? If we, if we think we're going to get something back from, from what we put out, then that's, that's just a natural uh, human love. And it's not bad to do that. I don't think he's condemning that, but he's also saying that's, that's not special. Everybody does that, right? Uh, who, whoever you are, that's normal. It's natural, but it's not remarkable. On the other hand, the love of enemies, as he puts it, is what I would call a supernatural love. This is different. This is a kind of love uh, found not just within ourselves naturally, but actually from outside of ourselves, as we'll find a little bit later on. This kind of love is central to the kingdom. In fact, it's so important that Jesus said in verse 36 that it acts as a kind of proof of a resemblance to our Heavenly Father. If we have this love in us, it is proof that we are in the kingdom where Jesus is king. It's the mark of a child of God, this way that we relate to one another. Now, as we follow Jesus, we want to obviously put his, his teaching into practice and live it. And so if we're going to do this, uh, we're going to have some questions along the way about how it works aren't we? If we're going to love our enemies, there will be some questions and discussions along the way about how this is supposed to work. How do we go about doing it? And so to start the message this morning, that's kind of, I want to cover a couple of these questions um, about how it's supposed to go. Before we can discuss loving our enemies, there's, I think there's something even prior to that that we have to ask and think about. It's the fact that Jesus says that we, or implies rather, that we have enemies in the first place. Jesus implies that we've got enemies. Now, I see two responses to this idea. The first one is for some of us, when we hear this, immediately, it's like, well, of course, I can think of this person, this person, and maybe it's a long list for you. And right away, you know who it is that Jesus is calling you to love and bless and pray for. So it makes sense to you. And your work is cut out, right? Who am I supposed to love? I already know. But my hunch is that many of us listening here today respond differently. Maybe we're a sort of person who doesn't really want to actually admit that we've got enemies at all. We're uncomfortable with the very idea that we would have enemies in the first place. After all, we're nice people, aren't we? This is a nice group of people here today. What's Jesus doing, you know, implying that we have enemies? That sounds so... 
I don't know, icky and harsh. It's, it's I don't know. Anybody? Are there any people pleasers? Um, <laughs> even if you're not like, even if that's not a problem for you, like being a people pleaser, I think all of us are very strongly motivated by the desire to be liked, um, whether it's by specific people or in general. We seek approval uh, and we want to impress people and things like this. And, and Christians, after all, we're a nice bunch of people, aren't we? So what's, why, why would Jesus imply that we have enemies? Well, like I said, Jesus speaks to the heart. He cuts through that. And he doesn't even really make it debatable. It's not a question of whether or not we have them. He just says it. They're there. It's stated as a given. So when we, are, when we want to refuse or get around, uh, when we refuse to be real and name our enemies before God, then I would say that we're actually not going to push through and be able to love them as Jesus is commanding us to do. Like if we pretend that we are somehow above the option to have an enemy, to, to want to re- uh, retaliate or resent people or whatever, then the opportunity for grace and forgiveness and supernatural love is actually going to be quenched if we can't be real about it in the first place. So for some of us, the challenge right away is to name our enemies and to lay them before God. Who are our enemies personally? Who is Jesus referring to? Or the Holy Spirit? Who is he, you know, as he interprets this word for us, who comes to mind? Uh, perhaps it's past or present, people who have shamed you, hurt you. It could be one person or a group of people or a type of person or a group, whatever. I don't know who it is. But let's be humble enough to see who God might be telling us that we are to love before we worry about acting on the commandment and putting it in place. Who would it be? Who is it? This may be uncomfortable. This can be super uncomfortable for some of us. Um, and it might be a long process and take prayer and humility, as I said, but we've got to believe Jesus when he implies that there are people in our lives that we would consider enemies. We have to believe Jesus if we're ever going to get on to blessing them and praying for them and, and loving them. Um, speaking to this issue, last week we heard Jesus warn his listeners. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. Basically, when you're well-liked, that's not necessarily a good thing. He says, blessed are you when people hate and exclude and look down on you because of your association with him. Oh, okay, suddenly... Uh, maybe we forgot it was only a week, ago, a week ago, but here we are again, and suddenly we have context for why Christians specifically, nice Christians like us, um, we might have enemies as well because of Jesus. You know, we're, I was talking about personal enemies before, maybe people who have hurt us and whatnot, people who have wronged you, but as well, Christians can expect to find enemies in the world as we live and serve a different king than the world does. This is actually normal. It was normal to early believers in the New Testament and early church history and church history still today to experience this animosity of of a Christian life of swimming upstream and being hated because of Jesus. Um, And yet, as we'll read in a moment, by committing to the way of Jesus, this teaching to love the enemy 
experiences with them consistently present opportunity for people to actually put into practice what Jesus teaches in Luke 6. So, for example, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 13, we have the Apostle Paul saying that up to the present hour, they are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed. We're roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. And when we are reviled, what do they do? They bless. When they're persecuted, they endure it. When they're slandered, they respond graciously. So even now, he says, we're like the scum of the earth. We are everybody's garbage. So here's the apostle. He's on the ground. He's working to spread the good news of Jesus. And he's finding, surprise, surprise, what Jesus said to be true. That following him is not a path towards fun and success and comfort necessarily, but it's a hard journey that will make enemies along the way. And yet, for Paul, there's a continuation of this obedience to Christ. It doesn't turn him away from pursuing Jesus, but he endures as he's given again and again opportunities to respond with grace instead of hate. We have enemies in our lives, and we deal with them differently because of our allegiance to Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean we're not going to have enemies. It means that we're going to deal with them differently. I, I like examples, and so it's awesome that Jesus goes through a bunch of them in our passage in Luke 6. I'm grateful for the examples that he gives. The first one, imagine someone slapping you, like he said in verse 29. How humiliating is that? That's basically like the fastest way to fill you with anger and rage. It's just for someone to hit you across the face. It's the worst. And Jesus says, instead of returning that evil for evil, we actually turn the other cheek as well. Now, I want to acknowledge quickly that turn the other cheek uh, has sometimes been misunderstood or misapplied. I say this because in reading it, we Christians sometimes think that it means that we are to withstand any and all mistreatment to a fault, right? That, that, that we are to be a doormat and we are never to use discernment and wisdom to escape bad situations or something like that, that we're always to be passive. And that, is, I would say, is, is not what Jesus intended in what he's saying. But rather, he provides the example to um, put us in a place where we have the opportunity to retaliate and hate. And instead say, in that moment, you can radically love instead. So if the, re if the natural reaction is to blow up when we're disrespected, right, to be, to be filled with fury, or to get bitter, or, or I don't know, whatever you would do, you can fill in the blank. This morning, Jesus is pointing us to a place where we're actually able to extend grace towards that person, to have patience and humility, and even bless them, to bless them. And he also talks about people stealing from us and not returning things from us. Another very violating experience. If you've had something stolen, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, so Jesus is touching on some very sensitive topics. 
for us. He's also, these are very touchy issues for his audience uh, in first century Palestine. Um, as, as we actually read just in the kids' case story, there's, you know, Israel is under a, a Roman regime, which is not a walk in the park. Uh, and there's also hundreds and hundreds of years of history before that of God's people living under again and again in kind of a cycle, um, oppressive governments and, and evil dictators and just, just all sorts of bad situations. So when Jesus gives these examples, they're not random or, or weird. Like he's not just intentionally finding, um, you know, really harsh experiences. He's, he's speaking to their lives. Right? These are real things that people, when Jesus says these examples, they're probably thinking, yep, that happened. And, and, and you know, it's in their mind. And so whether or not that's the case for us is, is not really the point. It's that uh, these are uh, things that cut to our heart. So Jesus brings a change into our lives. He redefines our relationships he empowers us to no longer retaliate and rage when an enemy wrongs us, but instead offer compassion and prayer and love. So that's the teaching. How do we get there? How do we do this? Because as I said, I don't know if I said this yet, but I will. Yeah, it's a hard teaching. This is not an easy thing to do. So let's talk about how we do it and how it's going to look. First, I want to read sort of a big picture of why Christians specifically are to love their enemies, the understanding of, of why we would do this, which Jesus alluded to already. Um, it comes from the understanding of the way that God has loved us, right? The grace that, that God has shown us. This is why we can as well have grace towards our enemies and be merciful towards others because God is merciful. Romans 5, 6 to 11 describes it like this. It says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for, not the perfect, for the ungodly. So for rarely will someone die for a just person or a righteous person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proved his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were, there's the word, enemies. Interesting. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we'll also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive this reconciliation. So that's part of the theology, the explanation of the love that we know as followers of Christ. This is what can motivate us as we understand it on a deep level, to the why to loving our enemies. We understand that this is the exact same treatment that we've received from God himself. And so I ask you, do you believe this? Do we believe this? And if the answer is yes, then there will be results. There will be results of believing it as we can read in 2 Corinthians 5, how it's going to look. 
It says, from now on then, we don't know people, we don't know anyone, sorry, from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. So when we were apart from Jesus, we see other people through a lens of sin. In our old creation, our perspective was different. If someone deserved our hate, we give it to them, right? If, if we need to um, retaliate to get even with someone or feel better about the situation, then do it. It's fair. Go ahead. That is normal. But in Jesus, we have a different perspective. We see every human actually as an image bearer of the creator and of our father God, no matter how much of that image may be you know, distorted in the, in the present sense of sin. Our new creation in Jesus allows us to view people, good or bad, friend or enemy, from God's perspective instead of from a basic human one. So I'll remind us of the first question we asked, do we have enemies? It would seem that uh, yes, we do. Jesus assumes it, even nice Christians like us. So once we maybe get over that, then we can respond to the invitation to actually love them and, and ask about what the real life implication of this love is going to look like. An invitation to put our beliefs in the truth of the gospel into practice in our daily lives. Because our perspective isn't the same one that we held before Jesus. It's been, it's, it's, that's the old self and the new self has come. Hatred and bitterness and self-centeredness, those are washed away, right? When that new creation begins to take place and grow. And through this, we're enabled, as we've said many times already, to actually love our enemies. And it's because of Jesus. Now, I know that some of us hear this teaching, the stuff that Jesus is saying, and say, yeah, but you don't know my enemies like I do, right? Like when I see the hurt in my past, all I see is, is a, like a brick wall, it's too high to get over. I can't get through it. So praying for and blessing and doing good and turn the other cheek to my enemies, all that stuff is honestly just too much to ask. It's too hard. If this is you, I would say a couple of things. First of all, you're not alone. Because I know, I'm confident that for the past 2,000 years since Jesus said that, people have been responding in the exact same way, thinking the same thing. <laughs> so you're not alone and feeling that. And secondly, to that I say, fair enough. I don't know the pain that this stuff raises for each of us individually. So fair enough. But there is someone who does know your enemies each by name, and it's God. God knows. And so this is my favorite part of what Jesus is teaching us this morning. The words of Jesus have a completely different meaning than if it were just me, another human being standing on stage saying, yeah, you know, you've got to forgive your enemies and, and love them and things like that. I'm not the one telling you to love your enemies. It, uh, Jesus is, although I hope you do. I'm getting the same teaching that you are. Jesus is the one telling us to love our enemies. Because you and I actually don't have the capacity to 
fully get this done on our own. It's true. It is too hard. That wall is too high to climb. I'm positive that I can't get over it on, on my own. And maybe you've tried. But the one who is teaching us this in Luke chapter 6 this morning, Jesus Christ, has the authority to tell it to us because he embodied this teaching in his incarnation, in coming to earth, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. Jesus displayed it all. Actually, quite specifically, listen to this. So uh, just a few days after Palm Sunday, you know, we're moving into Easter week. So Jesus, later in the week, goes on trial before the religious officials. What did they do to him during his trial? A bunch of really terrible stuff, but one of them is he, he was slapped. Jesus was slapped on the face by his enemy before the high priest. You can read about this in John 18. And this is a sim, uh, not just an expression of anger, but it's actually symbolic. In the synagogue, if you were slapped, you were kicked out. You're not allowed to worship in the synagogue if, if, if uh, an, a religious official slaps you. It's a way of saying, uh, you're not welcome here. They slapped Jesus, the Son of God, while he was on trial. Uh, later on, when the soldiers murdered Jesus, what did they do to his garments? They took them from him. They took his clothes. They didn't just take his clothes, but they also took his tunic or his shirt. <laughs> uh, Jesus said, if anyone takes your coat, don't hold back your shirt. Give it all to them. That's what they did to Jesus in the most horrible way. Somehow, Jesus is explaining to us the very things that he was going to experience at the hands of his enemies. Jesus knows this. This was put in place long before Jesus came as part of God's plan. There's an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 53, a very poignant word about what would happen in the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. I wanted to read it. Um, it says, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and a sheep silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence. He had not spoken deceitfully. What amazes me as I read this is not just how, the way that they treated Jesus, but that he so, was so not deserving to be treated like that, but rather his treatment was for, as it says, the iniquity of us. Not because of him. He was struck down because of the people's rebellion. 
So to me, this means that if anyone actually deserved to retaliate and lash out and get even at their enemies in that moment, it was Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was without sin but became sin because of people's wrongdoings. As I thought about this, I was reminded, even as they were crucifying him, what did Jesus pray? In Luke 27, 34, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Wow. Jesus embodied the, the teaching from Luke 6. Not just practically, but again, supernaturally on our behalf. So as we follow Jesus today, we're, we're at Palm Sunday. We're looking towards Good Friday and then towards Easter. Let us find Jesus as the means to love our enemies. If and when we, we cannot find the strength to love and bless and pray for and give to them, then lay that down before the one who already has. He most definitely can. Because only Jesus has the power to actually solve this problem for us. Jesus was not asking us to participate in an, in an impossible dilemma, right? Of loving our enemies, doing a thing that we'll never be capable of doing. No. He's inviting us into it, into a life-changing, supernatural love that we don't just have to find within ourselves, from within our own spirit, but through the gift of his Holy Spirit, which intercedes on our behalf, and it causes us, a sinner, to love other sinners as well, even our enemies. Romans 5.5 5 says, This hope will not disappoint us. It won't. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's how it happens. We can love our enemies because this is the love we receive by the grace of God. And he strengthens us to, to be like him, to be like Jesus, to resemble the Father, as Jesus said, with grace, with mercy towards others. And in doing so, Jesus says, we will receive a priceless reward that comes along with this radical way of following Jesus into eternal life now. Let's pray. God, as we read our passage this morning, God, I'm humbled by your word. Sometimes it feels impossible to, you know, approach this teaching and put it into motion. And yet I know, Lord, that you are more than willing and generous to empower your people to be a force of love. God, would you restore us, restore the hurt and the bitterness that we may be harboring and the things that we don't want to let go of in our relationships? Would we release those to you, God? Lord, forgive us for when we mess this up. Forgive us for choosing to curse our enemies instead of bless them as you teach us to. God, we need your help. We ask you to help us to pray for those who we resent or hate or look down upon, Lord. When, when those things come into our mind, would we hand them over to you and actually pray for our enemies instead? God, I thank you 
that as we let go of these things and, and, we, and we just come before you saying that we need your help with it, uh, that you, Lord, are, are also a God of justice and that you are holy, Lord. That, that it's not our responsibility for the world's judgment and to right every wrong, but that you alone are the one who does that. And, and in that, we place our trust and our faith. God, we need your spirit in us to do any of these things. God, so just pour out your presence on each one today. Lord, as you know what we need before we can even ask, we come before you to receive and say thank you. God, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for bringing it to us, even in our rebellious state, to save us, Lord. We love you. We hail you, Jesus, as king today in our lives and in the world forever. To him be the glory.